Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in the book of John, or the Gospel of John, chapter 2. That book of the Bible is the fourth book in the New Testament. A lot of you know the Bible's kind of split into two halves. There's the Old Testament before Jesus came. And then there's the New Testament, which starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that tell the story of Jesus. So John chapter 2, to get us started, uh, grandson update pictures. Sorry, it's probably going to happen every once in a while. There's Judah. Another picture. There he is. One more. I like the last one. He's kind of sporting an old man hairdo there. (laughs) Going to start working with him early on the comb over. (laughs) But as uh, we've even begun to wonder just a little bit about, I wonder, I wonder who he'll be when he grows up. You know, you see little characteristics in little kids. My wife made a couple grandma comments the other day. She watches him uh, fairly regularly, and she said he wants to sit up all the time, and she's interpreting that he feels frustrated if he can't see what's going on in the room. He seems especially happy in a crowded room with lots of activity, and then her prediction is this, I think maybe he's going to be an extrovert. That's what she said. So we don't know for sure whether that's true or not, but I would use that to introduce the idea of what I'd call early indicators, early indicators or early indications. Uh, We kind of know what this is, I think. Here's a definition that I made up, but you know what it means, right? It's a characteristic or skill that shows up early and is destined to develop. It's the things that, it's a glimpse into the future. We've all probably experienced this like at a sporting event when You're only five minutes into the sporting event, and you realize this team is going to kill this team, right? It's an early indicator. There are potential early indicators in finances, like when the stock market kicks off, and the early indications are either, ooh, it's going to be a great day or not. There are early indicators in relationships, I thought, in terms of romantic relationships, where you go out on the first date. And, you know, and with the, within the first, first 15 minutes, you're like, yow, this is, right? This is going well. Or the opposite would be like, get me out of here. Early indicators. Uh, there are, this applies to our spiritual lives, spiritual things. Uh, sometimes I'll meet a, a new Christian, somebody even new to the church, And they'll come to the church, and it's only week two, and they've invited six of their friends to come with them. And the early indicator might be there that they're an evangelist. Uh, uh, Not too long ago, I prayed with a guy. It was the first time he had ever prayed out loud, and it was so good. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this guy will be a prayer warrior. There's some early indicators in specific Bible characters. Paul, who became one of the greatest preachers ever, 
Uh, it says in Acts chapter 9, by the way, in Acts 9, at the beginning of the chapter, he becomes a Christian. Within 20 verses of the chapter, it says he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Been a Christian a few weeks, and he's doing major public speaking. There's a few little indicators for Jesus when he was a younger uh, guy, maybe 12 or something. He was in a synagogue, and he's interacting with elder spiritual people at a deep level, asking questions. And that's an early indication of his, you know, spiritual depth and what was to come. I also thought of, this was a new idea to me, uh, when Jesus started his public ministry, kind of before he went public with ministry, there's some early indications of his capacity to suffer because he started with a 40-day fast in the desert. Now, just wake up. For that, how many of you know that's a capacity? Go ahead, just try it. Just go into the desert and fast for 40 days. It's being indicated. Some of you are like, well, we don't have a desert. And I'm like, just go to Osceola and <laughs> just try fasting there for 40 days. Just kidding. I live in Osceola. New Carlisle, <laughs> that would be. I'm just trying to think of a Bremen. <laughs> I'm just trying to offend everybody in the room. <laughs> Granger. <laughs> Dang. Everybody's mad now. Okay. All right, we're talking about early indicators. Hold that thought. We're in this, what are we, third week? In the ser fourth week? The series in, on John. One disciple's unique perspective. And today we're going to learn from from some early indicators of Jesus' ministry in the realm of the miraculous. So we're going to learn from Jesus' very first miracle. Uh, the, the miraculous miracles, uh, you probably know, was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. He would do miracles of multiplication where there would be a few fish and he'd make it a bunch of fish. He did... Uh, physical miracles where people would be blind and then they could see, or they were lame and then they could walk, or they were sick and they would get better, or they would have a fever and the fever would break. They would even be dead, and Jesus would raise them back to life. There were spiritual miracles of people who were demonically oppressed or possessed, and they would be set free. There's some miracles, this is just me, and I categorize them as just kind of fun miracles, uh, there's one in somewhere, Matthew 17, where Jesus and Peter are talking about taxes and whether they should pay this certain tax. And basically, Jesus says, yeah, we should pay it. And then here's how he decides to pay the tax. He tells Peter to go catch a fish, and he says, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Pay the tax with that. Not... I'm like, Jesus, come on, what, what's up? Wouldn't that be fun? I wonder if we get to do Q&A with God in heaven. Because I would like to go, what was up with the go catch a fish, find a coin there? If I were Peter and feeling really comfortable, I would say, now you're just showing off. <laughs> I won't go too much of that. I'm sure he had a real purpose behind that. But miracles, they're all over Jesus 
ministry. Uh, but we're going to look at the first one and learn some things. Background. Jesus has been baptized. He's gathering disciples. He's been teaching a little bit, but he's still staying fairly under the radar. And we'll start in verse 1 of John 2. That the, this miracle is the miracle of when Jesus turns water into wine. <laughs> some, of you, some of you just woke up because I said wine. So you're like, what? Did you see what? Never mind. A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Everybody picturing this, right? Wedding, like reception, out of wine, depending on where you're at, that's a big deal. Some people like, uh-oh, this is bad. Uh, Mary, Jesus, hey, out of wine. Jesus gets the servants. Then, and they end up filling these jars, 30 gallons, big pottery kind of a thing. It says, uh, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Let me fill in a couple verses. So... Somewhere between the jars full of water and taking some of it to the master of the banquet, whether it happened in his cup or whether it happened before, all of that gets turned into wine. It's a miracle. Uh, and apparently, it's good wine because, really good wine, because then the master of the banquet ends up going and talking to the groom and says, this, he says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. That's the miracle. It says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. Many translations say the first of the miraculous signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Title of the talk is Water to Wine, A Glimpse into the Miraculous. And I basically want to explore what can we learn from this early impression, from this first look into the miraculous that can apply to us today. Because here's my guess, most of us, maybe even a lot of us even now, we have an area, a situation where we could use a miracle or two. Anybody? Like stuff regularly comes up. So I think there are some principles here that can help us perhaps increase the chances of seeing the miraculous. Let's pray. We need your intervention, God. And if some of us don't need something right now, it'll happen. 
this week, next week. There's, there's just those moments. And uh, so I pray that you would remind us or even teach us anew a little bit about how this miraculous stuff works. Be our teacher, God. I'll say it again. Um, if it's just me up here talking, that won't work. We need you to be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas from the text about the miraculous. First one is this. When it comes to miracles, asking stirs up activity. Excuse me. Asking stirs up activity. Basically, the idea in the text, Jesus is swayed by requests. Verse 3, the wine was gone. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then he said, why do you involve me? You see the connection? She's going to Jesus. Hey, got a situation. Jesus is like, hey, you're, now you're getting me involved. There's an ask in here. Not too long ago, we imagined how this might have been. Uh, like in my mind, it's not too hard to imagine. Wedding reception, run out of drinks for some people. That's a problem, right? Uh-oh, because the, the, there's a big part of it. Apparently, Mary's concerned. Maybe she knows the people. You know, there's a, there's a thing. Uh, there's a thing. What's the little video vignette things that are going around? It's not the, pa the passion. It's the, some of you will know. You've watched these. The Chosen. Yeah, if you've never heard of The Chosen, Google that. There's some great interpretations of some of these experiences. And there's a movie, little movie clip, The Chosen, about this. Anyway, if you've never heard of The Chosen, especially if you're new, getting to know who God is, Jesus is, some great stuff out there. All right, I got to get back to my notes. Oh, Mary, concerned, Jesus, no more wine. <laughs> Jesus like, I, what's the, what are you getting me involved? Can I give you a side note on this? My guess, just guessing, I'm not sure that Jesus was overly concerned about not having more wine. If you think through it, how many times does sin increase the more wine is there? Have you ever thought about that? He, come on, you've been to a wedding reception. And you know darn well when things are going south. And you're like, that's not going to be good. What they're about to do is not the most godly moment that's going to, right? Do you guys not live in the real world? I was wondering about this. I was wondering if Jesus is like, no, seriously, Mom, I'm good without more wine. Because I'm going to be dying for the sins of the world. And less wine helps me not die for as many sins. So anyway, but there's no indication that Jesus is concerned about that. And yet, right? Mom makes the request. And her request alters Jesus' plan to participate and get involved. He goes from not involved to taking initiative. This is a pretty simple concept. 
requests uh, move God. Sometimes the requests throughout the Bible are really dramatic requests. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 1, there's a man with leprosy. It comes to Jesus and it says, he begged him on his knees. To me, this is a dramatic request. He gets on his knees and he says, you know, if you are willing, make me clean. So he's, it's dramatic. In uh, Matthew 8, there's a request that just doesn't, it just feels more formal. Guy's a centurion, which means he's a soldier, kind of a captain guy who oversees like a hundred soldiers. And his request sounds like this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He's got a, he's got a sick, he's, he's interceding, intervening for a sick person who's really, really sick. And he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. It's not all that dramatic. Very clear, concise. In Mark chapter 10, it's interesting to me that there's a blind man. His name's Bartimaeus. He's sitting by the road. Jesus and a whole, like his entourage is going past. Somehow the blind man gets understanding that Jesus is passing by. And he's heard of him, apparently. And so the blind man, Bartimaeus, starts to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he's yelling by the road. If you read the text, people around him tell him to shut up, basically. They say, shut up. <laughs> he's like, uh-uh. He yells more, right? He shouted, and then he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stops the little parade thing going. He calls the blind man to him, and it is interesting to me that he asks him, what do you want? When you, most of us would assume, well, he's blind. He's going to do the whole... And then he says, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what happens? It's whatever he says, the blind man says, I want to see. By the way, if he had said something else there, then he would have likely gotten something else. He says, I want to, basically, here's the idea. You can write it in. Our specific requests have influential power. That's true. Believe it. Your requests have influential power power. Two weeks ago, Janice came to church. She made a comment to Elise. This is how I got the testimony. She made a comment to Elise that she had been sick with intense gallbladder issues. She likely wouldn't be able to make it through the entire sit through the entire service because of the pain. During the service, there was an announcement for healing prayer. Janice responds, and this was the testimony, as she was prayed for, she felt a cooling sensation go down through her body. Instantly, all the pain and symptoms were gone. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. By the way, I talked to Janice on Friday... 
And she has been healed from that point, still no symptoms. Everything has been great. And she said to me, she, she was excited. She said, this is my first ever instantaneous miracle. And I'm like, that is so awesome. But the reality of that picture, we thank God for that picture. The reality of that picture is part of the key pieces to the puzzle is someone has to get that request to God. Someone has to, like, we can all talk about it, but someone's got to get the clarity to go to God and say, God, here's what I'm asking for. And on that day, the prayer team was part of that. So let's bring this idea into the room a little more. Here's the question. Am I using my access, access to God, to influence God? That's the idea. And just in case you're thinking, well, I'm different, because like Mary was the mother of Jesus, right? That's a big deal. Well, can I just tell you, if you're in Christ, you're the daughter of Jesus, or you're the son of Jesus. That gives you family access into Christ the same way Mary had access. Don't underestimate the value you have, the voice that we have to come to Jesus and say, hey, here's this thing. I'm asking you to intervene. Side idea. Can you imagine what would happen if we could somehow transfer all of the gossip that, will, that happens around our world, and instead of talking to each other about stuff, we transferred that and said, let's not gossip, let's actually take this situation to God. Can you imagine how our world would change? First of all, can you imagine how many prayers God would be hearing all the time if we could just transfer the gossip into prayer? God would probably have a meeting in heaven and go, dang, what happened on earth? Because we got a lot of prayer going on. Sorry, does gossip happen in the world? Just, nah. Thanks, Corey. Gossip is like, nah. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We're going to emphasize the word ask in this text. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receive. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. But again, can I just tell you, if you are in Christ, you're a son, you're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. How much more will your heavenly Father in... Your Father in heaven, give good gifts to those who, you say it, ask. Oh, you didn't do it very well. Ask. That's the point. We should be asking because your ask has influence in the kingdom of God. All right, I'm going to give you one more. James 4.1. I'm doing my Bible study, personal Bible study in James. And we'll just skip to the end. We'll skip to the end of the verse, right? What causes, it's all good. But it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
That was the first idea. When it comes to miracles, asking stirs up activity. Second idea is when it comes to miracles, Jesus isn't eager for credit. Did we fill in all the blanks of the first thing? Okay, thanks. When it comes to miracles, Jesus isn't eager for credit. We're going to look at the idea that Jesus stays really behind the scenes in this early indicator miracle thing. First, let's explore this. Do you know anyone who does really good things, but they don't want credit for it? Like they just, stay, they're, they're really, does that make sense? We had a, uh, this was, I don't know how many years ago, quite a while ago. We had a person give like the largest financial gift to the church that we'd ever experienced. Uh, it was a six-figure gift came in through the offering boxes. So I remember the day specifically because after church I was driving somewhere and I got a telephone call. Some of you are still stuck on six-figure gift. So yeah, some people live in a different world than we do, right? And God bless, God bless them. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, so I got a phone call and it went something like this. Hey, Mark, yeah, this is the county team. We're not sure what to do. There's a check here <laughs> for like this much money. And, and I'm like, oh, what? You know, yeah, that's what it's. And so like, do we just deposit it? <laughs> Can banks take this much money? We don't know what to do. Anyway. And so I said, oh, I knew who it was. I said, well, who's, who wrote the check? So I did a quick phone call to him, and I said, hey, it's Pastor Mark. Uh, <laughs> I got a question. <laughs> did, the check, there's a check in the offer. Did you write a big check? We just want to clarify, is that the right number of zeros on the check? And they, they, said, they said, yeah, and they're tithers. And they had had a, you know, once in a while, some people will get a, a windfall-like thing. And, and they're so, oh, it's just, it was, it was so refreshing. They said, it's, we just tithe on what God blesses us with, with. And so it's just our tithe. And, and I don't remember specifically how it went. but And it was like, you know, we just didn't want to make it a big deal. So we just put it in the offering box. Like, by the way, a bunch of people in our church tithe. So it was just a tithe put in the offering box. Isn't that cool? Like this sense of, no, we, we weren't needing attention for just doing what we should be doing. We've seen this, and you've seen this, where a family will want to help another family, and they'll say, I just want to be anonymous. And the heart of it is, mostly I want to be helpful. I don't, I'm not looking to be acknowledged. I'm just looking to be helpful. That's who Jesus is many, 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 many times. And in our text, he is behind the scenes. Verse 7, Jesus, he's aware of the need and he talks to the servants, fills the jar with water. And he says, you know, fill the jars with water, draw some and take it to the master. There's no indication that Jesus all of a sudden becomes flamboyant in his instructions. What? Out of wine, servants, come to me while I give you direction and impress you all, right? He could have made a big deal, but he's not. He's like, hey, guys, I don't know how, you know, servants, come here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do this, do this, take this over there, get that done. 
the biggest indicator for me is when the master of the banquet is confused on who produced the wine. Think about that. The master of the banquet, we have the text, he calls the groom. He says, hey, Franco, come here. And you did a phenomenal job. I cannot believe most people bring out the good wine at the end, but you, it says, but you, that's wrong. Franco didn't do it. His name's not Franco. But you didn't, he didn't do it. You saved the best till now. And there's no indication that Jesus said, excuse, whoa, 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 let me just clarify. I'm the way and the truth. And the truth is, he didn't do the wine thing. That was me. He doesn't do it. A little theological reminder here. Jesus' joy is quiet and helpful miracles. Multiple times in the Bible, he would perform, perform, and <laughs> someone pray for my speech. Jesus, do a miracle. Help me be able to talk. He would perform big deal miracle. And then he would tell the person who had just received it, Hey, don't tell anybody about this. Now, my interpretation of that is he's saying, I just did this for you because I love you. I just did this for you. Don't, don't go around telling everybody. Isn't, that, isn't he amazing? Jesus' joy is quiet and helpful miracles. Okay, so let's finish up. Two practical applications from this idea that Jesus isn't eager for credit. First thing is an assessment of ourselves. How am I approaching being helpful? You want to be a spiritual great? Don't get caught up in whether you get acknowledgement for the good things that you're doing. That can be a stretch for some of us, right? When you do that great thing this afternoon for somebody, just be okay whether anybody recognizes it or not. Is that going to be hard for anyone? Nah, you're all good. I have to work at this stuff. I want to I announce to my wife if I just put my coffee cup in the dishwasher. <laughs> I just did it the other day. I'm like, and I want to go, <clears throat> just, just so you know, <laughs> clean up my own mess here, babe. <laughs> I don't do it because Jesus says, shut up. I'm like, okay, well, I just, <laughs> we'd be better off. Okay, never mind. I'm the only one who struggles with that. All right. So am I, am I, how am I approaching being helpful? Just be helpful. Oh, gosh. Okay. Last thing. Pray for miracles behind the scenes. Here's a challenge. We'll finish with this. Pray for miracles behind the scenes. What if, and by the way, I think there's a place for us to out loud with people say, hey, I see this situation. Let me pray for you. But here's what I'm challenging us, us to. Could we increase the behind-the-scenes prayer for the needs of the world? So instead of always having to pray out loud with others, when we see a circumstance, even from a distance, how about we say, Father, I see this over here. I think this is what's going on, and I am praying that you will intervene in that situation. 
Let me give you a Bible verse. In Matthew 6, 6, he says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think there would be an increase of change in our world if the Christians were more willing or increased our capacity to secretly bringing our requests to God, not, not trying to be acknowledged. By the way, if someone knows you're praying about something, don't freak out. But our heart should be, I just want to get with God and pray for these things. Like simple examples. A friend of mine here at the church, she was saying the other day, whenever she sees an ambulance, she prays for whatever's going on inside. And the, the person in the ambulance is never going to know that Christy's praying for them, right? But that's okay. She's praying. God hears the prayer. She also said whenever she sees a funeral procession, she prays for the family of whoever passed away. Secret stuff. I missed a point. A little, little tiny thing. So you'll never know what it was. Why don't you stand? We're going to close. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.